Abanko Reisen, and welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. That, by the way, is Austrian-German for to tear a bench. Oh my god, what does that mean? Well, it's apparently what you say when you've just eaten a hearty meal, which I feel is what we have gotten this weekend with yet another great race. I'm Drew Scanlon, joining me is Danny O'Dwyer. How are you, Danny? I'm great. It was certainly a sort of a three-course meal, qualifying, sprint, and feet, and what, what are we calling it? I guess race. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was good stuff. I was delighted to be here, although absolutely crestfallen. I could not be with you last mm. week for the terrific Silverstone post-race, but hey, it was nice to be a listener. Yes, indeed. Also joining us, Rob Zachney. How are you, Rob? Doing well. You know, I thought uh, Silverstone, that implied that we'd be very lucky to get another great race uh so soon but it seems like uh we absolutely did um maybe we got like two two really good races this weekend uh if you're new to this podcast a very warm welcome to you and if you are new to formula one itself uh, we recommend listening to our pre-season primer episode which assumes no prior f1 knowledge and explains how the sport works and who everybody is. So if you'd like to go back and listen to that, it's episode 178. Also, this show is supported entirely by our audience at patreon.com slash shiftf1, where every month we release bonus podcasts and videos exclusively for our patrons that cover racing documentaries and films, F1 video games, experiments with other racing series, and a lot of weird things. So if you would like to support the show and get access to all that fun stuff, head over to patreon.com slash shiftf1 or click the link in the show notes. What's been going on in Patreon land, Danny? Yeah, we have to, I'm just back from my vacation, so we do have to talk about what we're going to, we have to go to the document, the shrouded document, which has all of our great ideas for patron exclusive podcasts um, to pick out one of those. Uh, The the last one we did was Love the Beast, right? That was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, so look, that that went up last month. Um, but yeah, we'll have news on that very soon. And also thank you to all of our terrific title sponsors, including a couple of new names. See if you can find them here. First up, birthday boy Mitchie loves Grosjean. That's a new that's one. My, that's a, oh, that's a new one. And they also have a terrific Roman Grosjean avatar as their name. So um, yes, happy birthday, Mitchie. Uh, Team Blackjack, Michael Maves, Gordy's Army, Ash Talking Autos, Tanner McLeave, Olivia Evans, Pyrites Card Castle, Erica Siegel, Iron Station Studios, Alan McCrary, TelemetryDuck.com, Gnarly Goat, David Mule, Drew Stewart, Bailey Foote, Abdullah Althani, Jason Chadwick, Abraham Getchell, Octothorpe Bunny Crimes, Sniggs, Alex Goucher, Max Voltar, Circuit Demon, Troy Stammer, Umberto Roca, William Rompf, Vin Pearl, Bilby Oil, and Jason Kelly. In my dreams at night, sometimes I imagine Abdullah Althani, Bailey Foot, and Drew Stewart just hanging out at a bar. You know what I mean? Like, they've been together for so long. It's but, true. And Abraham Getchell walks in. You know what I mean? It's just, but we never, they're, you know, they're, they're strangers. They're, they're friends to us, but strangers to each other. It's true. Maybe we uh, had a, a meetup sometime the <laughs> meet up. austrian grand prix <laughs> i think after yeah, I mean, covid the- variant uh like ba19 <laughs> uh or 32 oh. lets up i think we're really going to be back to normal do you remember we had that one in austin speaking of austria austinia uh and like the entire bar filled up by accident we were like oh maybe 20 <laughs> right. people will turn up and like 100 people turn up and that was like before anyone in america cared about formula one i, I can't imagine <laughs> what would happen if we did one now yeah uh, well, we have a lot to get to, as you guys mentioned. So what do you say we jump right in to Austria? Uh, yep. We have a qualifying session, a sprint session, 
and a race. A lot like Austrian food, I feel. These can start to get samey after the while. After a while, and you can be like, I think I'm done. I think I, I ha- enough race cars have been on the screen, uh, which is more how potato, these sprints. More, ca- more, <laughs> more fried meat. Um, as much as you love it, sometimes there's just too much. But uh, I think this sort of, I don't know, maybe we'll come back to it at the end, but um, I, I thought I would, I would have too much racing, and uh, but, but everything was good. I, I liked qualifying. We, we saw a lot of times deleted for track limits violations. Yeah. Something we'll see throughout the weekend. Uh, and it's always fun to see spread the spread, the time spread at tracks like this with a low lap time. So we got three cars, uh, the top three cars within a tenth of a second mm. of each other. Uh, and uh, some red flag action. Hamilton crashed in Q3 after losing the car in the middle of turn seven. Uh, and Russell crashed also in Q3 after losing the car in the middle of turn 10. Um, and I guess we'll get to poor fan behavior in the news, but... Right. Um, well, I, I feel like maybe like we discussed the two things separately because I because I do yeah. feel there's been a conflation. I'm not sure they're the same, right? Mm. That... The thing that came up here was fans cheering when Hamilton crashed out. Oh, right. Russell, Russell too. But the, like the Hamilton one was most egregious because it was very loud and the camera cut to the audience just like cheering their heads off. Mm. Yeah. Um, and like, I don't think it's the best one, but I, I do think it is qualitatively different from what we're going to be talking about regarding fan behavior just across the weekend as a whole and especially on race Mm. day uh with the harassment and abuse um i think they probably i think i think they are related to some extent like you could say that this is partly driven uh perhaps by a a partisan crowd uh that, that that frequently like has a real ugly streak to it but man i seem to recall some cheering uh at silverstone when like max went out uh, yeah. you know, and that, but they're also cheering that it was also, you know, it's an exciting moment. It was a, it was tough wheel to wheel racing, but like the fact is that you're going to have supporters in stands who are really charged up to see, uh, their guy do well, or conversely a perceived rival, uh, do poorly. And I, while I, well, I'm sympathetic to the argument that like, well, these accidents can be really serious and we don't know, you know, we don't know what like Hamilton's, uh, status is right away. At no point did that look like a particularly like extraordinary shunt, right? Like it seemed like a pretty pretty standard off. It was a hard tank slapper, but uh, it it didn't seem like one of those things where immediately the crowd should be like you know falling to hush silence over mm, uh, right. waiting to make sure the driver's okay. I think there's a little like on this aspect, I feel like there's a little bit of pearl clutching here that might be tying yeah. to the fact that like. F1 drivers are getting a little bit tired of just the changes in fandom overall in the last few years. Um, I'm thinking about like the fact that Latifi was getting brigaded online and like hate messages for what happened in uh, Abu Dhabi. Mm -hmm. Like, I think it might be related to that, which is that drivers are feeling like there's a little more personal antipathy directed at them uh, by F1 fandom. than There's been in the past, but as far as like, hearing cheers when something that happens i think people could have a more sporting attitude but i think that's true across all sports and for me it's not it's it's less the conversation that needs to happen right now yeah i i I don't think it's a great like i can see the visual of it not looking great but like 
we've talked about European fans here before, right? It's a different vibe if you go to a European soccer game than it is in one in America. You know what I mean? Like you are there as a force. You are you are the twelfth person on the pitch, basically. You know what I mean? Sorry, substitute goalkeeper, I guess. Uh, but it's you know there is that sort of like feeling in like at, at lots of European sports events that you are an active participant in it and that you can affect it and in many ways that's the thing we see in Zandvoort is them basically trying to utilize that power by making so much noise I mean we'll talk about the harassment stuff that as you said Rob that is a different story but like you know the the colors the shirts the flares like it's very much that so in many ways I can't I, I feel like it is a little bit pearl clutchy because like I'm sure if they thought about it they wouldn't but like in the moment like I can see how uh, 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 the you know dynamics of a crowd will cheer something like that, especially because it didn't look particularly um, dangerous. Uh, but yeah, it, you'd prefer it not to happen because it does force you to sort of like you know consider a scenario in which people cheer when someone got hurt, which would be just like very gross. Uh, thankfully, that wasn't the case here. Yeah, it just it just makes me cringe. Um, yeah. And- and I wonder, you know, we kind of brought this up when we were talking about Drive to Survive, um, kind of stoking the flames of mm. partisanship because they, you know, it's a dramatic retelling of the Formula One season and therefore you must have heroes and villains. Um, you I know, mean, at you what could also point argue- does, that, does this, does this feel, I guess my question is, does this feel new to Formula One and, and I- where is that coming from? Honestly, when it comes to this particular incident, I think this is as much Verstappen stoking his own fans post the Silverstone incident. They made a lot of like that overtake yeah. was completely in a in a justified place. We saw them doing it last week at Cops again. There were some terrific battles around there. Um, Horner was on his pedestal talking about how you don't overtake on that corner, which is just a lie. Verstappen was giving out about the post race celebrations. I I think. That is very much a byproduct of last year. Uh, we should also mention that Hamilton throughout his career has had a cloud of antipathy following him, uh, much, much of it racially motivated. And then um, otherwise, there may be some element of anti-Britishness, which maybe uh, American audiences aren't as aware of in Europe. There is a sort of a reaction to British sports in general in Europe. I'm not sure if Brexit has perhaps helped that. So you tend to get sort of a lot of anti british uh sentiment at european mm. ventures uh, or venues or whatever like british soccer players have sometimes have trouble going to europe and things like that or at least they did more in the past but so there's that element too but i do think it is a lot to do with just it was hamilton you know what i mean i don't think they were cheering as loud if leclerc went off even though arguably that's who verstappen is fighting this right no they, they hate lewis yeah yeah um like in in part because he and Max clearly have no rapport whatsoever. They do not like each other. Uh, they do not hold ah. each other in much regard. Um, oh, I mean, Lewis is like routinely bagged on Max throughout his career um, as sort of a sketchy driver. Um, I, mm. Like, I don't think there's, I, I don't think there's like love lost between them there. Um, but I think their fandoms also like make this weirder and worse. And I think maybe where this does tie into the issue we're going to discuss in a bit is that, you know, Dan, when you talk about like uh, football culture, um, mm. there's a bit of that too, I think in the States with like uh, our football and with baseball, where part of the deal is, Oh, and part of what you get with the ticket is license uh, to be an asshole. 
Like in a lot, mm. like in a lot of cases, that's that's part of what you buy with the ticket. That's why I it's, buy the ticket. It's treated as oh here here come the boo birds or you know here's those legendary twelfth man uh, you know uh, players for for Seattle, the um, Legion of Boom. Yeah, stuff stuff like that, and like we treat it as like normal, and that it's a cool thing, and it's it's a pun, a fun part of fandom. Uh, but then you do get increasing stories about athletes being like hey i'm standing in the outfield at fenway and just like getting racial abuse uh Mm -hmm. right and left or you hear basketball players talking about like you know it happens in a lot of places but like you know there were a lot of stories around uh playing against the utah jazz in salt lake city um right you know if you're if you're a player in that arena the people seats close to the court uh feel free to like aggressively and like really awfully heckle you and that's not even and and the the other thing is we're like oh there's this line where there's good heckling and there's bad heckling what if there's not as much as we think you know what i mean what if, what if it what if the line actually should be well short of did someone use a slur right like to what extent are we encouraging fans to in the guise of fandom just like vent the shittiest type of impulses and behavior and we're calling it like oh yeah you know it's a tough crowd and i think maybe Mm. that's 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 where this issue begins to tip over into the other which is that as a baseline uh, a lot of sports permit and even encourage a fan culture that like man i wouldn't want to deal with that shit yeah yeah it's different for you wouldn't see this type of stuff at monaco let's say that Monaco might have security. That's that's something else too. But all right. Hey, Silverstone. Silverstone had a lot of security, and that didn't help much with the invasion. True. Uh, all right. Well, let's let's get through the racing here. There is a lot of it. Here is the yeah. sprint grid. The result of qualifying: Max Verstappen is on top, followed by Charles Leclerc and his Ferrari teammate Carlos Sainz. Then we've got George Russell, Esteban Ocon. Kevin Magnuson and Mick Schumacher, Haas boys, running great this weekend. For some reason, they even they're surprised because they have not yet brought any upgrades to their car. <laughs> uh, Fernando Alonso <clears throat> uh, in eighth, and Lewis Hamilton and Pierre Gasly rounding out the top ten. Then we've got Alex Albon um, in a Williams. He he, I, we had mentioned I think in Silverstone, Latifi was running the old car, Alex running the new car. I, I didn't realize just how new the Williams that Albon is driving is. They have apparently Williams changed their entire car philosophy from the beginning of the year. Oh, so wow. that is a that's a very different car. Uh, Valtteri Bottas in 12th, Sergio Perez in 13th. He qualified fourth, um, but interestingly, he violated track limits on his fast lap, uh, and that it was assessed after the session. Which is some—it's like, a point of contention that we've brought up before. Like, mm. well, you know, if if something is assessed after the session in qualifying, and he's already qualified, well, what do we do? Well, apparently, you can still bump him down to 13th. That part that did rub me the wrong way because it is like. They got the cameras. They're being really quick on these calls. It feels like they, if they, if he was going to get bumped out of the Q three, it feels like they should have had time to get whoever was uh, whoever finished eleven to bump into the next session. Like not a huge deal, but it did kind of catch me off guard that uh, 
even by the start of the session, basically, we knew that he was probably uh, going to get dinged. Yeah, it was also blatant where he where yeah. he went off. He basically cut, you know, there's no chicanes here, but, you know, one of those, uh, the S's. Uh, anyway, Yuki Sonoda, 14th. Lando Norris, 15th. He uh, had some brake issues in Q2, saying he was scared to hit the brakes. Mm. Uh, at McLaren... Kind of all over the place. Daniel Ricciardo, uh, 16th. Lance Stroll, 17th. Joe Guan Yu, 18th. Then we've got Nicholas Latifi and Sebastian Vettel. Uh, at the beginning of the sprint, before we even started, Alonso had a problem on the grid and had to get wheeled back to the garage to change his power unit. Uh, so he'll start the race from the back. It was funny, though, for a second when they were looking at him, and it looked like they had just forgotten to take off the tire warmers, <laughs> yeah. which obviously wasn't the case. They I, had like, I was like, Fernando's going to come out of that car and beat someone's <laughs> ass. Like, if they were just like, oh shit, with the tire warmers. <laughs> oh no, the tire warmers. <laughs> Whoop doy. Like, yeah, yeah exactly. I was, I was like, oh no, he's going to lose his head. But I guess there was some um, issue with, uh, it looked like they were doing compressed air on the side of the car, or something like that. Um, of course, not the only, uh, you know, you're talking about Lando seeing Alonso having problems and then you know maybe it's the heat maybe it's the elevation but uh Guan Yu then also mm. idled right when they came back around yeah he had a problem on that formation lap um and he had to start the sprint from the pit lane they did one more lap I think mm. after that uh but the start Danny do you have start notes here for absolutely the sir All right. yeah yeah so a good uh good fight with um uh, Verstappen and uh Leclerc down to turn one uh, Austria it doesn't you can't I don't know if it comes across as much on television but there's a lot of like vertical change here um uh, not just up into turn three which is obviously up the big hill but turn one as well it's kind of like it's not like Austin but it has a similar sort of thing where it's kind of hard to get a getaway like it tends to compress them a little bit so you often don't see big lunges into turn one here um that also coupled with the fact that turn three is so good for overtakes and also hey if that doesn't work out or it works out badly there's also turn four so you tend not to see a lot of fighting into this first turn for that reason um uh, but yeah they they you know Verstappen Verstappen blocked well then they sort of all filed in behind there was a little bit of contact in the back where Hamilton hit Gasly wait hang on are these your sprint or your race notes this is sprint oh because the because Sainz gets a great start here and jumps Leclerc into second. He does. I'm getting. I'm getting to him. I'm. I'm just doing the. Oh, I'm doing okay. The, the, so the Hamilton Gasly one seems like it was a little bit um, uh, more Gasly than Hamilton, maybe, or, or you know, hard Fully. to blame Hamilton. Yeah, just like racing incidents type but stuff. Eerily As, reminiscent of last week's incident with Joe. It's just that you know yeah. Gasly didn't get uh, you know careened into. Uh, another car i think it was albon who managed to break and avoid joe's mm. fate but really really similar uh, as you said like the signs passed leclerc and they basically continued into a battle for the next like three corners it was awesome all the way up into turn three um eventually leclerc gets their they're fighting through the apex of turn three and then eventually leclerc gets past signs i think just on the entry to turn four um to retake the position uh which is a battle that will continue for much of this sprint yes sorry denny i, th- I thought no worries <laughs> keep me on my toes hey man i'm two yeah. weeks out i need to be warmed up you i, I appreciate it coach <laughs> uh <laughs> hamilton avoids major damage from that incident and there's a good scrap between him albon and norris albon earning yeah. a five second penalty for pushing norris off the track 
Yeah, this one I've the, the, yeah there was well talk a lot about I guess the off the track stuff, but um, Albon obviously knows uh, very his famous incident with um, uh, Hamilton on turn four at this track will come up a bit later. But yeah, I I think if he had got if he had gotten that I don't know what do you make of that because he lost the position as well, so it kind of felt like it was a double penalty or something. I don't know, man. There's so much happening this weekend. I, I thought they were calling I, it too tight. Did not. Yeah, I, I, uh, yeah. There's a couple of times. I feel like also Norris got a double penalty in the main race, but we'll talk about that later. Uh, the Ferraris battle back and forth for second place uh, while Verstappen runs away out front. The mm-hmm. Haas cars also fighting each other, and yeah. Perez takes advantage here, getting Mick Schumacher and then Magnussen one lap later. Man, if I'm not, if I'm Haas, I'm not happy about how that plays out. Because mm. Mick had a real run at Magnuson, and Magnuson like completely balked him, um, which like fair enough, but it did feed the positions to uh, Perez, uh, like yeah. like fighting that position. They cooperated way more effectively um, when Hamilton was pulling up behind Mick. Like at that point, uh, the Haas has sort of worked as as one uh, to sort of maintain DRS contact and deny Hamilton the the run he needed, but uh, until they didn't. <laughs> well, right, and that's the other thing is yeah. did like obviously Mick was losing pace in that battle, but yeah, it did kind of feel like once it was clear there wasn't going to be enough time for Hamilton to do the move on both of them. Yeah, Ke- uh, Kevin <laughs> uh, was surprisingly far up the road. <laughs> Yeah, Schumacher not happy about uh, about that after the session. Uh, I think his engineer mm. was like, hey, great, great job. And Mick was like, well, I guess, kind of, whatever, we'll talk about it. Yeah, he was straight um, up asking, get, Matt, get Kevin to slow down for me. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yellow flag for Vettel on lap 11 in the gravel for having contact with Albon. Uh, <laughs> yet something else, which will be echoed in the race. Um Lap 12, Perez still moving up, passes Ocon at turn three for fifth place. And the other big mover, as you said, Rob Hamilton, uh, has caught the Haas cars by lap 19, has a great battle with Mick Schumacher for multiple laps, but eventually Magnussen pulls too far ahead for Schumacher to use DRS, and he succumbs to the Hamilton attack. But for Stappen, wins the sprint handily. There you go. One race down. Well, and like it did seem, I was like, well, this is going to be a boring race. Because he just seemed to have such good pace um, that, like Max, just kind of drove off with it and seemed to have amazing pace throughout his stint. Um, so that that seemed to bode well, bode poorly for for a good race. All right, so the race grid looks like this: Max Verstappen on top, then Charles Leclerc, then Carlos Sainz in third. Then we've got George Russell, Sergio Perez making it up to fifth. Esteban Ocon in sixth, Kevin Magnuson in seventh, Lewis Hamilton splitting the two Haas in uh, eight. eighth place. Uh, Mick Schumacher is ninth, and Lando Norris starts tenth. And we've got Ricardo, Stroll, Joe, Gasly, Albon in fifteenth, Sunoda, Latifi, Fettel, uh, Alonso with that new power unit, and Botas mm. starting from the pit lane um, with uh, with also some new power unit elements. Botas loves a pit lane start. I feel like he's. I feel like I've heard Botas in the pit lane starting from the pit lane a thousand times in my life. I don't know why. Yeah. Uh, all right, Danny. You want to take smoke. us to the start? Oh, the race. Smoke, smoke S- everywhere. Smoke. Orange smoke, smoke. Um, 
Yeah, I've, I will talk about the fan stuff later, but just with regard to the smoke, uh, lots very funny watching lots of videos of fans in the stands wa- watching just orange for the start of this race. <laughs> cool. It's like the, the ultimate self-own is being in one of those stands and, and a bunch of flares go up and you see none of the race, at least for the first two laps. Um but yes, uh, we are we are um, uh, lights out and away they went and all that nonsense. And uh, up into turn one, Russell gets past Signs up the inside, and it forces Signs off the track, or he drives off the track. We'll talk about that. Um, and he basically uh, catches back up to um, uh, Russell while Perez is also... or sorry, and, and gets past him on the straight leading up to turn three. That sort of then allows Perez into it, into the, the, the conversation. The two of them go side by side through turn three and then down into four where we basically saw the Hamilton-Albon situation a couple of years back. We see Perez get tagged by Russell on that exit of turn four. Um, Russell gets a five-second penalty for uh, for the incident. Um, lots to talk about here. The signs going off track, first of all. I feel like he sort of ends up being the butterfly effect that gets Russell not only losing positions, but then also getting a penalty for it. Um, so I feel a little bit bad for Russell in that respect. Um, and then also, there's just something about this turn four yeah. where I I can see... I think I watched a side-by-side of the Albon and Hamilton incident, and that was at the end of the race when I felt like they had a bit more grip, maybe, and it was four position, and it was very much like a last-ditch attempt to overtake, and it was later in the corner, way past the apex, and Hamilton was further, or uh, Albon was further over. This one, I felt a little bit sorry for George because he's on cold tires. It's a downhill right-hander where... They've, you know what I mean? The cars are tuned a certain way here, and it's a lot of uphill parts of this track, and they obviously lose a bit of grip going downhill anyway. And then on fresh tires, he even said in a post-race interview, I that was I had no more grip. Like, that was as much as I could turn. So once Sergio was there, there wasn't really that much more I could do. And Sergio, there was a couple of, like, um, three wides in Formula 3 um, at that turn that in, uh, ended in some uh, incidents, some of them not... Uh, um, Leclerc's little brother um, had a bit of an incident there kind of crashed into two other cars um, and and I feel like there was more space on the outside for Perez as well so in a way I feel like there's a caveat emptor feeling on overtaking on turn four that I feel like should maybe be part of the equation where like if you're going to risk it on turn one or on lap one you know you kind of need to hug the outside maybe I don't know and maybe not just then but yeah this one this one bugged me a lot because it is first of all for the like let them race crowd weird that there's just not that much like heard uh on this one <laughs> two so the interesting thing is brundle seemed to fully agree with the call and what he seems to argue and this maybe seems to be how they're rolling it is that um okay so perez is on the better racing line on entry and is slightly ahead and if he keeps the racing line, he's going to hit that apex and like uh, close the door on George. Ergo, George needed to back out because it was Perez's corner. I don't see it. Th- like if two cars are side by side, fuck that. Like it's no one's corner. Uh, it's it's <laughs> absolutely a free for all. And when I look at it, like 
it looked this way to me in real time, and on every replay, it looks the same. Uh, George is two wheels on the curb, um, like basically riding the apex. And there are, at the moment of impact, there's like at least two car widths to the left of Sergio. Right. And that might yeah. not be the fastest line. That's why going around the outside is hard. Like, mm. I hate the call uh, because I don't like basically they're saying that in that position, the driver on the inside just has to completely concede the corner, despite the fact that the corner has ample room to run two cards side by side. It just doesn't give you like an easy exit if you're passing on the outside. But like tough. Like I think it's yeah. like Sergio did a chancy move. It went bad because he turned in. Uh, and he wrecked his race. Sorry, it goes that way sometimes. He should have. He should have left more room on the inside because there is no more track on the inside. Like George doesn't have more space. Yeah, I was surprised by that. And also when Brundle said that, and obviously he's you know has a lot more experience in racing than 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 us. But I I was also kind of a little bit like I thought that I didn't. I thought they like the if you're side by side or if you have your nose ahead, like that's your ticket to the game. I don't think that's I don't think that's you own the the game. You know what I mean? Like I don't think that's like some sort of like uh you know free pass or get out of jail free card for whatever happens next. That just means like cuz he's the overtaking car regardless of if he has the line. You know what I mean? Like it's turn 1. The lines are dictated by traffic as much as anything else, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I just don't know where George was supposed to where he's supposed to go. No, like if I- he slams on the brakes like what's that gonna do? Oh, Just right, like, yeah, it's gonna pile. Yeah, it's gonna pile. Uh, what is that? Ocon right behind him. Uh, yeah, and he can't him. turn more. I don't think it looks like he's on right on the limit, and he doesn't want to. No, if he does that, he understeers into Perez. Well, so the weird I don't thing know. is, Brundle's hard. argument, I think, is from an outdated standard for how we adjudicate these things that we pointedly don't use anymore, uh, mm. because at least last year at times the FIA seemed to be really like. Uh, the stu- the stewards and the, f- the officials seem to be very like pro making sure people are left racing room. Brundle is arguing that from the standpoint of old school rules, which is that whoever owns the racing line owns the corner. Uh, it's it's Sergio's. We don't drive that way anymore, mm-hmm. um, or at least we're not supposed to. And so to rule on it this way uh, is is a b- bit weird to me, especially because like it is. It isn't like George is being ambitious down the inside. Uh, he's he's like cutting that corner as tightly as he can, and uh, like Perez makes a bad call. Uh, and I do not. I think it was. I think it's an abysmal call uh, against yeah. George. And I I feel like in part it is just one of those things that um maybe there's some sort of special guidance they've given around turn four, but I just I like I cannot see the reasoning behind it. Yeah, I, I think um, I think I'm with you guys. Uh, I, I I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what was supposed to happen there, especially given that you know. Okay, yeah, Perez is ahead into the corner, but like you have you're you're humans. When do you when do you make that decision? And they all it know has they to have can't been see. like a hundred meters ago. And they can't see. They all know they have lousy side to side visibility. Uh, yeah. Like you, like the blind spots are massive. Uh, the other thing, I, like I'll say this too, um, if I'm Red Bull, I'm not happy with Sergio here because this is a bad decision. 
Yeah, like, it was a. It was, but he he does. This is not. This is a very Sergio Perez. Yeah. Like you know, he rides hard, and I think uh, we talked about this before. We talked about this when he joined Red Bull, where if you're at a back, <clears throat> excuse me, if you're at a team in the mid pack, this behooves you because yes. you're trying to get to those points as quickly as possible. But he there's a. It's not the first time we have seen him sort of like dunk it in the Red Bull early in the race over, you know. Something that a position he's gonna get cleanly in two or three laps. Like the running pace of the Red Bull is like fat. Like I guess we don't like at this point in the race. Maybe we don't fully know what the what the Merck's running pace is. Mm. But uh, yeah, they they assume it's better than Mercedes. Is kind of what you're thinking. Yeah, like I just think like you're going like you do not need to make a marginal move like this um, because you're going to be able to like maybe you, you. You'll get a better opportunities uh, later in the race. This always this this move had disaster written all over it. All right. Well, we have a ton to get to, so let's yep. keep yeah. it going here. Uh, <laughs> right. Lap four, we are treated to the continuation of a battle we saw in the sprint. Mick Schumacher once again fighting with Lewis Hamilton for seventh place. Uh, this time, uh, Schumacher gets the place pretty handily with DRS. Uh, lap 12, Leclerc has stayed with Verstappen and starts haranguing him. Verstappen keeps him at bay for a little while, but eventually Leclerc makes a great dive down the inside at turn four, I believe. Uh, yes. Verstappen pitting soon after on lap 14, committing himself to at least a two-stop. Uh, he comes in, he comes out of the pits in eighth behind Norris. Ferrari, currently running 1-2, decides to go longer, perhaps trying the one-stop. So already some pit strategy going on here. Uh, lap 14, Hamilton, who's in sixth, just up the road from seventh, uh, is behind the Haas train now of Mick Schumacher and Magnussen. Uh, Haas car still looking racy, uh, especially know, right? since, as we mentioned in the previous uh, paragraph, I have not gotten any upgrades yet. Uh, but Hamilton also looks good and makes a very good looking move on Mick Schumacher yeah. through the S section of turns seven and eight. Really cool. Old. Yeah, ballsy. Good spot. I liked it. And then he followed it up pretty quickly, getting Magnuson on the next lap. Indeed, with DRS. Um, Nick Schumacher also angling to be let past Magnuson uh, during the sprint uh, because he believed he was faster. I, I think mm. this this race and the sprint showed that I think Schumacher is finally getting his footing. And uh, yeah. that's really cool to see. Uh, Nick Hamilton is faster than you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Hamilton also running long on his tires, hoping to do some fewer pit stops. Uh, but as his lap times start to drop off, Verstappen is there on his newer tires, having made it past Norris and the Haas cars. And on lap 18, the two world champions meet on track, which I think we're going to see not so many times, <laughs> certainly fewer times <laughs> yeah. this season as last season. Hamilton defends into turn three, but Verstappen gets DRS in the following straight, and it is an easy pass. Uh just a quick side here. This is also where you realize uh, just how badly compromised uh, Checo's car is because they are lapping him uh, right around this oh, point yeah. too. Like it was, mm. uh, they end up retiring him, but boy, uh, it was he never got back on pace uh, with with the damage they sustained. Yeah, I think it was pretty significant uh, floor and side pod. That's, that's the thing we're learning that these cars do not want to go off the track. Like Verstappen's car was race was was a floor damage you know just the margins of of how you don't want to damage your floor in the grand effect era seems to be the sort of thing that's coming up and i wonder like you know as they're talking about track limits maybe there's there's some way those two worlds can meet i don't know um 
By the way, I, I also loved uh, Mixed Move on uh, Norris. I think on lap 21. Oh, yeah. Uh, That's coming up. Outbreaking him, uh, heading, I think it was up into one. But we got a great in-car view of this, uh, where from Mick's perspective, you'd see him sort of like breaking side by side. And it looked to me like you could kind of tell that the McLaren has a really choppy braking pattern, which I assume is Norris mm. having to really do a uh, pretty like long cadence uh, to release and like uh, and reset the brake because like Mick just like smoothly dives into the corner and then takes his angle and makes it out. Uh, it looks like Norris is conducting a negotiation uh, with his front <laughs> brakes uh, to try to get that car to like check up so we can make the make the corner. And that's what he was saying, right? Like that's what he was talking about. I'm not sure when that. Um the 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 I don't have it on my notes here. Sorry, Drew, if you do. The 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 time when Norris goes off track and ends up getting a penalty, I forget when that was. Because at this stage, we should say because we're coming up on the lap twenty four stuff. That at this stage, there's already been multiple warnings for track limits to many of the drivers. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple black of drivers going to get black and white flags. Yeah, and there are penalties dished out. And um, but Norris gets one leading up into turn one, and it was. Like it wasn't like he went off the track and gained an advantage in turn one. He just missed his braking. Like it wasn't an overtake. It wasn't him cutting a corner. It wasn't him, you know, like a qualifying lap trying to trying to eke out some time. He just screwed up the braking because the braking's bad here. And then they gave him a penalty, and it seemed like it was a bit harsh. Um, and he wasn't too happy about it either. But uh, yeah, at least we had that lap twenty four bit. I'm guessing that's oh what's coming God. up next. Oh yes. boy. In an echo of the insanity we witnessed at the British Grand Prix, we get a fantastic battle between Alonso and Joe over eighth place. Alonso trying every which way to get past, which compromises his momentum and allows Magnussen behind Alonso to pass both of them into turn one. Again, I reiterate, in a Haas. Uh, then Norris and Schumacher join the party. Exactly. Agent Smith puts his head, turns his head up and says, "More." <laughs> Two more cars appear. Uh, Alonso passes Joe around turn one. Then Norris zooms past both of them around the outside of turn three. Cracks open his DRS on the next straight. Pulls alongside Magnuson. Hangs it out around the outside of turn four. Magnuson holds firm and keeps eighth place. What a battle! Look, anytime you see five cars just appearing at the same time and none of them are back markers, what is this? I what know. What new, well, new F1 is this? I'm, yes, I'm here for it. Uh, lap 27, Leclerc takes his first pit stop from the lead, comes out behind Verstappen, who takes the lead, but again with those older tires. And sure enough, Leclerc steadily closes up and passes Verstappen on the inside of turn three with DRS six laps later. Uh, back in the field, Hamilton continues to make moves, getting Ocon into turn three with DRS for fourth place on lap 30. And uh, lap 31, he's got to be happy about this. McSchumacher gets his teammate Magnussen into sixth place at turn nine. Uh, so yeah, Schumacher still looking good. Yeah. Lap 37, Verstappen takes a second pit stop, dropping one place to third behind Sainz, who like Leclerc has only stopped once. And lap 40, we get a, another brief yellow flag for Vettel get, getting punted off the road by someone else. Uh, this time it's Gasly dropping uh, Vettel from 13th to 18th. Gasly himself earns a five-place, or a five-point, oh, I'm sorry, a five-second penalty. There we go. So many penalties going on. 
Five place penalty would suck. That would be yeah, that'd yeah, be really yeah. harsh. Uh, lap 50, Ferrari pits Leclerc a second time, and it seems they can do so with impunity since the Red Bull of Verstappen is just not able to keep pace, it seems. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's sure it, enough. From that first ahead. day overtake back, whatever it was, lap 10, it's, you could see the, the difference in the two. Yeah. Uh, so Leclerc catches back up to Verstappen in three laps and attempts a move down into turn three that gets blocked. Uh, so Leclerc does the cutback. Switches to the inside and gets him down the following straight. And right on time, lap Boom. 57, a Ferrari engine explodes. And really oh explodes this time in a yeah, way I don't one, think I've ever seen. I don't think I've seen an explosion like that, a literal explosion. Uh, in the wild? Not since, like, you'd have to go like three revisions to engine spec uh, ago before <laughs> I think you see anything like this. Yeah, the replay, yeah. it's just the it's just blowing the engine cover apart. Like there's you like can tell it's three cylinder explosions just, as yeah. as like yeah, as it falls apart. Uh it's incredible. And it's kind of harrowing too cuz it ends up he pulls off and it at first it's like okay, just a standard power unit failure. It's not until we see the replay that like the engine is blowing the fuck apart behind him and the cowl is just like rupturing uh all yeah. up and down uh the 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 bodywork. Um, but then because it happens, uh, what is this? The run up to three? Um, yeah, it's a four. It's an exit of four. Okay. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. No, because four is heading down. Entry of four. That's always the entry of four. Oh, does it, it? does it rise back up? Oh. Uh, I don't. I don't know. I think. On. I think that exit does. Yeah. Yeah. I, I could be wrong though. It could have been three. But, but he's, yeah, anyway, he's on. He's on a hill. Yeah. He he drove it up and off the track. Um, and then. I suppose probably because the engine is is yeah. bar, he can't like he's lost his pressure. Yeah, he can't like put he can't put the brakes on it. He can't like put it in park, <laughs> and so the thing just starts rolling back. Curve your he, wheels. Like, he keeps. <laughs> it's not San Francisco. He doesn't know. He doesn't know about that. <laughs> he's trying. Yeah. You see him like he almost gets out of the car, and he's like, "Shit, it's rolling," and he starts trying to like uh get it to stop but then he realizes the car's on fire, on fire. <laughs> and the flames like getting closer and i will say i found a little um you know again i i, I appreciate the need to like stage a good response scene and everything but i i could have done with less staging the fire extinguishers near the burning car and more <laughs> yes. going over the guardrails to yes. apply said fire extinguishers agreed <laughs> like, they were a little bit slow on the mark <laughs> the marshals were like well want to make sure we got all our fire extinguishers nearby <laughs> <laughs> just in case you know something happens and then signs is yeah in that moment attempting to basically stop a sort of a a Buster Keaton style situation where there's a, there's a burning <laughs> car rolling down a fucking hill on, on the racetrack. And the guy tries which, to get the chalk block under the, the front yeah. wheel, but it's rolling too much. So it just rolls over the chalk block. Like it's, it is yeah. comedy because it's like everyone's safe at the end. But at the same time, like at the moment I was like, <laughs> can someone please get this guy out of the burning car? <laughs> you know. Yeah. Thankfully he's uh he's okay, but that engine ain't. Oh, boy. No. Um, so, signs. yeah, he was running in third with a good chance for second. Uh, but that is his race done. And most of that car. We get a VSC for that, virtual safety car, and a few people make some cheap pit stops. Uh, lap 60, soon after we restart, uh, Russell, who served his five-second penalty for his collision with Perez already, has made it back to his starting position of fourth place with a cutback on Ocon at turn three. Mm-hmm. 
And just as it looks like Leclerc is going to take an easy win with Verstappen unable to keep pace, uh, we get a tense back and forth between Leclerc and his engineer regarding his throttle. Mm. Uh, apparently, Leclerc would let his foot off the throttle, but it wouldn't spring back, leaving it open as much as 30% through oh the gosh. low speed corners. That's wild. I, I, I don't know how one would manage that, but Leclerc somehow does. So and holds his Ferrari together just long enough to win the race. My actual guess is the is 30% is the throttle travel, but that it doesn't map as 30% throttle. Right. When you put because right. like it's not mechanical that when you press that when you press the when you press the loud pedal, basically, uh, depending on how they've set up your throttle as you like it, uh, it'll send different amounts of power uh, to the engine. So my guess is what they're seeing is on its total play, it's 30 percent down. Um, but that might not actually be sending much power to the engine because 30 percent like pedal saturation might only translate to like a light brush on the uh, on the pedals that'd be my are guess they allowed are they allowed to change the throttle mapping in the car are they able to or is that all preset before the race I can't the remember. thing they can't do is i feel like teams have gotten in trouble with having i want to say like a variable throttle map that would change over the course of right. the lap yeah. Uh, yeah, where it was like, okay, you're kind of faking uh, traction control here using throttle map settings. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but right. I'm not sure if you're only allowed to have one map or if it is a thing where you can uh, move to a different one. I'd like mm. throttle maps are a thing that I do not fully understand at all. Uh, mm. But like, I think I it would be. Pardon? I was just going to say, I don't, I don't know that you have one stored that's like, ignore the first 30%. Yeah, okay, fair. Yeah, yeah maybe they, they can swap to that one, yeah. That's true. And I'm sure yeah, they're not allowed there like, is no, do it from the pit there's wall. There's no data transfer from the pit wall to the yeah, cars allowed. Totally. So, yeah, he was uh, terrified. Is that what he said? I forget yeah, he said, he was, I was scared. I think not yeah. necessarily, it sounded like in context, not for you know, his safety, but for no, first no. place. Yeah, losing the win, especially when, yeah, like it's high altitude, high temp here. The cars yeah, have already been, we have seen a lot of the team struggle with reliability. And this was where, you know, this was the last laps of this race. It was the, the, the curve was increasing of, of whether or not the cars were going to make it through, especially after two races too, right? You got to factor that in. They were, they had two days of races in these things, but uh, alas, he did it or not alas, successfully for him, made it around. Yes, indeed. Charlotte Claire bringing it home in first place. His first win when starting somewhere other than pole. Wow, that really? was an interesting stat. Yeah, that is an interesting stat. Uh, Max Verstappen in second and Lewis Hamilton rounding out the podium. George Russell in fourth, Esteban Ocon in fifth. Then we've got Mick Schumacher, Lando Norris, Kevin Magnussen, Daniel Ricciardo in ninth, and Fernando Alonso, the last points paying position. Mick Fernando Schumacher, Alonso, baby. Just like yeah. Double weekends, baby. Get all those points. Eat them up. Gobble them. Yum, yum. Uh, Fernando Alonso in 10th. Valtteri Botas in 11th. Both of them started from the back of the field, you may recall. <laughs> uh, then Alex Albon in 12th. Lance Stroll in 13th. Zhuguan Yu in 14th. Pierre Gasly 15th. Yuki Tsunoda 16th. Sebastian Vettel 17th. And then the DNFs of Carlos Sainz, Nicholas Latifi, and Sergio Perez. Uh, I did not see Latifi go out. But something no. must have happened. I think. Uh, <laughs> I feel is. Let's see. Is he still here? 
What? Who? <laughs> Who's that guy? Thought everyone left the party. Yeah. Oh, he went out apparently lap 48. Okay. Awesome. From the back. <laughs> I mean, it does seem like... So the thing, that, the thing that I can't assess is that I feel like he didn't look this terrible last year as the car was making strides. Like, he, yes, he, wasn't, he was off George, but like not comically so. Um, but now he hey, seems he comically off Albin. He made it to Q3 last week, though, right? Yeah. Yeah, he did. So. It, it just, I think that car might just be maybe another nightmare. Yeah. Well, he's still, I think. He's he, on the old one, right? I think he might still be on the old one. Yeah. Albon's on the totally new one. Speaking of new things, mm. let's get to the news after I read the driver standings. I always forget this. <laughs> uh, Max Verstappen is on top of the driver's championship with 208 points. Charles Leclerc in second with 170. Uh, that's a couple for Verstappen DNFs away from a good fight. Mm. Um, Sergio Perez in third with 151. Carlos Sainz in fourth with 133. And George Russell in fifth with 128. Then we've got Lewis Hamilton with 109, Lando Norris with 64, Esteban Ocon with 52, Valtteri Bottas in ninth with 46, and then Fernando Alonso, Fernando Alonso in 10th with 29. Magnussen has 22, Ricardo has 17. That's many places back from Norris. Mm. Uh, Pierre Gasly's got 16, Sebastian Vettel's got 15, Mick Schumacher is in 15th place with 12 points. Woo. Yuki Tsunoda is in 16th with 11. Then we've got Zhou Guan Yu with five. Alex Albon with three, tied with Lance Stroll. And then Nicholas Latifi and Nico Hulkenberg with zero. Come on, Nico. I <laughs> know. Problem for you. Pick it up. Uh, <laughs> the constructor standings, Red Bull is on top with 359 points to Ferrari's 303. Uh, it, again, it feels more like a runaway than maybe it actually is. Yeah, it's, it's, um, to me, this whole thing feels like a little bit like a what do you call those those uh, those like uh, Henley races? What is this? Where you have rowboats? Where you, where, you know they kind of they like rowboats, but they're out out of sync. So they kind of like you know five people rowing in a boat, like heave ho, whatever the fuck that's called. Like a regatta, a regatta, yeah, yeah. Where it looks you can't tell who's in front because they're on different paces. So one mm. of them's kind of like ah. closing the guy. You know, it's like that. That's what going it back like and forth. Exactly. Yes. Uh, Mercedes is in third with 237 points. Uh, McLaren's in fourth with 81. Tied Are with they? Alpine. <laughs> Alpine wow. should be in fourth then. Alpine begins with A. They should be in fourth. Well, <laughs> Alpine is there and they've left a lot of points on the board, is my, is my argument. Yeah. Like, they appear to have a, a pretty pacey car. They're having bad bounces. Like Alpine, mm. I feel like if, if their upgrades come through... And some of the just the bad luck and reliability issues they've had abate. I think they're in a fight with Mercedes. But wow. that just hasn't happened this year because like yeah. every time you look it up at an Alpine like having a good weekend, something gets wrong. Like something gets uh, horribly wrong. I think McLaren. I mean, we know McLaren is only where they are because of Lando Norris. That and that. Yeah. And not just saying because Ricardo's having a tough time. I think that car is not in a great place and i think lando is rising above it that's just the kind of the feeling i get mm. uh sixth place alfa romeo with 51 gene haas and team in a solid seventh place with 34 points alpha Tauri, another team i feel like has left a lot on the table they're in eighth with 27 aston martin's got 18 and williams has three 
I, for some reason, I don't know if it's just like I've come to expect that from Williams, but Aston Martin to me looks looks the worst. Yes, no, we were talking about this in the Discord on the weekend. Like uh, somebody in our fan Discord was like, you know, F one doesn't really have any like true crap bottom of the table teams as much anymore. And for me, instantly, I was like, oh, Aston Martin is one hundred percent like the gang that couldn't shoot straight. Because um, mm. I, I think what makes it worse than Williams is like. Williams was like halfway out of a hole. They appear to have gotten the new, the new car design wrong. Aston, there's a lot of investment behind it and was a pretty good operation up until a couple of years ago. Um, or maybe even a year ago. I mean, it's hard not to say like Lawrence showed up and was like, <laughs> I'm putting my people, meaning McLaren cast offs, in charge of this operation get the hell out of here otmar you don't interview well on the sky broadcast you're too laconic uh <laughs> and like immediately this team appears to just be in free fall yeah yeah they were they were a bit, are you saying bring back vj malia oh my god bring back i mean VJ what malia. did he do that was so terrible <laughs> <laughs> hey that's a good segue probably uh, sure is. To the news. Speaking of terribleness, <laughs> Rob. Well, oh, I, you're I, going first. I, yeah. I think we had. I forgot who was Danny going first. Had the segue. So let's yeah, let's do the, your my, good sorry. segue. Speaking of the yeah, game, good times uh, and yeah. tax <laughs> is, is uh, financial crimes uh, situation. Okay. Yes. Exactly. Speaking of massive fraud. Yes, Formula One. Um, uh, uh, what do we call the master vampire? Uh, uh, Bernie Eccleston um has been charged with fraud for over 400 million dollars of overseas assets pounds. that he sorry pounds pounds sorry pounds. yes i take it back although who knows where any currency is at at the moment <laughs> um yes the her, her royal highness the hmrc her majesty's royal court i don't know what it is i forget they used to pay them tax in england um yeah, apparently there's uh, liabilities arising from more than 400 million offshore assets, which he has concealed, which they are uh, they are attempting to uh, get from him. So he is going to be going to court over this. Uh, it should be worth mentioning that he is worth 2.5 billion pounds sterling, 2.5 billion queenie bucks. So perhaps 400 million. Some of the liabilities he owes on those assets is maybe not the biggest drop in the bucket. But hey, we all we, we all love a, a story about Bernie Eccleston getting just a little smidge of uh, of, of karmic retribution for his his crimes against I don't know motorsport. <laughs> I don't really know why I don't like Bernie at this. Like I don't like Bernie well, because he's, he's just he's clearly like a, a shyster. Asshole. Like yeah, yeah. I, I he's mean, he's like. Yeah, he, he walked away from Putin. F1 with $2.5 billion. So I wonder how that happened. <laughs> right, know, that's, like, that's the other thing. Is he, he talked <laughs> like he was very savvy and to a degree arranged for a lot of people who actually like provide the value of F1 to sign mm. over a ton of the rights to the profits of F1 over to his management group. And that deal persists today, right? Where teams are like, we're super hard up. And in the meantime, uh, the, the the financiers, uh, you know, who who bought this thing from from F one are mm. raking it in. So I think there's there's that, but I think also his his propensity just go off at the mouth, combined with uh, a steady move toward 
authoritarianism uh, in mm. the last 20 years to the point like remember two weeks ago he was in the news because he was like I would die for Vladimir Putin and it's like Bernie I don't know man like read the fucking room just once in <laughs> just your life and the problem is the room he's in are full of fascists um, and mm. that is like <laughs> that is that is the water he was comfortable swimming in but uh, yeah I, I think it's very funny that he's that they've got him on this tax shelter situation which could easily be just this sort of thing that happens when you're so busy trying to legally cheat on your taxes that you fuck up and actually commit tax fraud. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, breaking news from uh, the Bernie, the Bernie man. I, f- I always feel like the next time he'll be in the news, it'll be him saying him departing this mortal coil, but he just won't do it. Not, no. not that I wish death on anyone, but he's 91 years old. He's too stubborn. But, you know, he, if he keeps eating, drinking the blood of young people, though, he will continue to live. So we just need to make sure we stop that from happening. Well, let me just uh, roll on to this next story about money here. Um, Formula One has agreed to increase the budget cap for 2022 amid inflation pressure. This is from autosport.com. Um, so teams had been working to the basic total of $140 million. And they added another $1.2 million for the 22nd race. Um, and now they've increased 3.1%. For inflation, which represents around $4.3 million. So now the final cast uh, cost cap for this year is 145.5. However, Christian Horner, mm. team boss at Red Bull, says it is not enough. It's uh, not enough. He's it's got not more enough candies. for us. And it's get, too much yeah. for the little ones. Oh, wow. So it's okay. a compromise. And <laughs> a, consens- a consensus was found in the end asked if his team could still get down to the new cost cap total horner said we're going to have to do everything that we can man less nice things we're gonna have to spend money on less nice things that help yeah stop eating all your avocado toast i cannot wait until like we see like glimpses of the hospitality areas and like they're being served as urinos on paper plates uh Two-day-old bananas in the bowl, just Red Bull shows up with an IndyCar-sized pit crew. Uh, look, we we just, you know, okay, it'll take us. The set, the stop's going to be eight seconds now, but we're broke. What do you want from us? Apparently, the only dissenter in voting to uh, approve the 3.1% increase was uh, Otmar Safnauer, team boss at Alpine. Mm. Quote, I'm obliged to accept it, be- accept it because of the governance Eight teams voted, and then it goes through, and now that's the new rule. We've got to follow it. It's difficult to start changing rules in the middle of the season. The FIA believed it was a compromise. Uh, it should have stayed the same. Mm. He was like, drag them all down to where I am. Come exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, the thing Money is... Money can't help us. I don't want it to help you. He's been, you know, he came up through having to be really... Uh, you know, Pennywise when it came to the yeah. teams he's running, it would not surprise me if they were in very good shape through this year because they could read economic forecast. Like the whole like, oh my god, this inflation, it's wild. Came out of nowhere. Came out of nowhere, Rob. Yeah, I know. Never could never could have seen this coming. <laughs> there's there's a lot of team principals who I think were just like, well, listen, listen, like if we oh. if we all if we all Naruto rush area fifty one, they have to give us uh the extra budget. <laughs> Uh, so, so I think that th- there's a bit of that going on. Yeah, just a smidge. 
Yeah, it makes sense though that they brought they brought it up, you know. But but yeah, I yeah, it, this all this does this is the I feel like we have had this conversation a million times. Yeah, and it's always Christian Horner beating the drum. So yes, uh, uh, should Rob, should Rob do his one or should we? Yeah, should we really thinking, get, get my spe- one out of the way. Well, we speaking of um, conversations that I feel like we're having over and over these there days, we go. Rob. Yeah, uh, this came up at the start of the broadcast for the Grand Prix that they're just alluding to the fact that there have been uh, really abysmal fan behavior uh, reported throughout the Grand Prix weekend, and on the tail end, of it, we got more uh, tail end, but we got more detail about what that looked like, which was uh, like misogynistic and homophobic uh, abuse, uh, sort of being. Uh, shouted at people, uh, people being harassed uh, at the at the Austrian uh, Grand Prix. Um, a Lewis Hamilton supporter uh, said she was harassed, and uh, the team brought her in for like a special visit to sort of like check in with her and and see she was doing okay. I think uh, Alfa Romeo uh, may have had a similar uh, situation play out. And in the wake of this, uh, for one thing. Uh, in terms of responses, uh, there was pretty widespread condemnation of what what happened here. I think Mercedes were probably the the most outspoken uh, on this. I think Total Wolf gave a statement where it's just like we need to get these people like get the fuck out. Uh, we don't want you here uh, in F one for people who do things like this. Uh, Seb Vettel was calling for lifetime bans uh, from F one events for people who are uh, like caught doing shit like this. Um, we also saw, um, like Max, uh, Max also said that, uh, you know, you shouldn't have to say that people shouldn't be doing this. Uh, like his, his direct quote is normal human being, uh, should, should not think, uh, or, or behave like that. Um, he also sort of suggested that, you know, the Grand Prix needs more security and maybe an alcohol limit. Uh, mm-hmm. which I actually think is pretty on point. And I think for me, one of the things that I come to when I look at this is in the wake of this, there was a lot of, this immediately became sort of a, a fan partisan issue. Um, and there were a lot of like fingers being pointed at Verstappen fans. It does seem like the orange army grandstand in particular was sort of a hotbed of this kind of behavior mm-hmm. and has been in the past. Uh, but it goes beyond that. And I think uh, Elizabeth Blackstock over at Jalopnik had a really good piece about, Hey, like there's a lot of races that are not safe or inclusive or welcoming, welcoming environments. Uh, we're talking about this one, but you cannot say that this is Max's shitty, like misogynist uh, or bigoted fans. This is a broader issue in motorsports fandom. And I think it's it's important to call out that people uh, like bringing uh, like their bigotry into F1 need to be shown the door. They need to have it made clear to them that it is not a space that welcomes them. And I do feel like, unfortunately, the space might welcome them more than we would wish. Right. I think this yeah. was kind of what sort of emerged in right. We Race as One, which was that there were a lot of drivers and teams that really were gritting their teeth uh, and seemed really put upon to have to even make any sort of like gesture of solidarity 
around issues like racism and uh, homophobia. It's uh, yeah. Are you, sorry. Do you mind if I jump in yeah. for a sec? Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Very well said. And I feel like to me, this is like very, I know and I keep beating the drum about European football and stuff, but like if you've been watching football long enough or if you're involved in a fan community and I'm an Arsenal fan and we had a, um, uh, like a, a stadium transition years ago, the donkeys years ago now, um, where this became, uh, uh, well, where the idea of like basically the in- infrastructural ways in which you stop this type of behavior or encourage this type of behavior, why certain stadiums are the way they are, why certain stadiums are more hostile than mm-hmm. others, for instance, like um, Anfield and the cop in Liverpool is a very, um, you know, positive but like intimidating stadium. Old Trafford in many ways was in its heyday. Um, then you have like how you basically stop... Um, the type of behavior that you don't want to happen, which often occurs in like, you know, Italy is obviously a, is a hotbed for a lot of, you know, very weird political, you know, this fascist ultras and things like that. Um, plenty of great uh, fans too. There's a lot of stadium sharing. So there's all these like sort of infrastructural reasons why this stuff happens. And what I was interested in was, why is it happening here? Yes. Uh, because I, I think you're right. We can't say it's not, it, not only is it like, not fair, but it's not helpful to the cause to just say these are Verstappen fans because then that minimizes the actual thing that's happening here, which is that it's like racism and misogyny and homophobia and things like that. And like they are happening, if they'll happen with their, with that person, they might happen with someone else. So there's no point in reducing it to that. Um, but when I look at like, uh, for instance, Silverstone and Austria, to me, they are similar because they are both stadiums in which the fans tend to have a sort of a music venue mentality. A lot of them camp. There's a lot of like people coming from a different part of the country or a different country and staying there, drinking. There's a vibe that, you know, it's that mentality as opposed to say, you know, Austin, any of the street circuits, you know, even Canada, places where it's more metropolitan like that. So there's more beer and as people are loose like that. But I do feel like, unfortunately, having the sort of like stands full of people who are basically all, there is like safety in that, you know, when, when away fans go to a stadium in Europe, there's safety in knowing that we're all here to cheer for our team. We're going to like be threatening and loud and security won't touch us they will sit on the outside of us and make sure we don't leave our pen but whatever happens in here is fair game and i think we're seeing the same thing on these in these stands unfortunately because i love these stands i love i love the the cheer we got last week you guys talked about it on the podcast when hamilton made that double overtake on the on the last corner in silverstone the the roar you got to hear we get it encourages this type of thing but unfortunately i think it creates a sort of a bubble for assholes who are going to act like dogs if they're allowed to and like that's the problem and or i feel like that's our problem yeah no and I, and I think this is something that i think kind of frustrated me in some of the response i saw which was that uh there's the there's an argument made when people are trying to address the infrastructural issues or uh like just the way events are run where it's like hey don't make an excuse for behavior like this and it's like it's not but here's the thing people like this are going to be at f1 events for the rest of your life they're at like, every race. Yeah, they're going to they're be there at, forever. Those same people are at every race. So They're just not getting away with it the, right? At, at, at other ones. So the thing you got to ask yourself is how can you make it so that the thing that they're carrying you know, in their heart or in their head uh, doesn't become something they feel like they have license to act on 
and like make others deal with. And that's yeah. where I, that's like, that's what we can control. So we should probably focus on controlling that because while it's good to hear like fans like this have no place in F1, I think you're naive if you think, well, if we just all shame it enough, uh, it will go away. It will, right. it will not. But what you can do is make it so you don't know those people are there because they know if they act out, uh, people in uh, high-vis jackets are going to come get them right. hustled out immediately. And the whole weekend for them and their party is a bust. Um, and I do think... So Orange Army is at a bunch of venues. Um, and so maybe it's not down to them. But I, I have increasingly started to wonder if just that entire stand is not itself a problem uh, because of that issue you cited, Danny, which is like... Everyone feels like we're here as kind of a group. So like we kind of have like play by our own rules here. Uh, and the smoke bomb thing doesn't like, yeah, it doesn't seem like it's a driver safety hazard, but there is something like hyper aggressive about the fact that they just blot out visibility for themselves and whoever yeah. else like now can't see because there's smoke clouds building it, like, across. sucks too. I'm not sure if you've ever been in a stadium where they've released flares, but like it's not it's not awesome. Like I love fireworks. I yeah. like being close to fireworks exploding, but I don't like being close to flares. Well, they just suck. They're kind of acrid too. Um, yeah. So it's it's, uh, it's not a nice feeling, right? And and so that's the other <laughs> weird thing is I think like it might have been at Silverstone. They also had a um, they tried to inclusive things like uh, they had like a low stim like I forget what the term for this is, but it's like a low stimulation or like uh like low intensity like sensory uh pit walk where they're like close down the music for people who have like uh sensory oh, funny, issues really okay so, yeah like then they do cool. like hockey is leaned into stuff like this where you're like okay there are people who cannot handle loud noises flashing lights etc so how can you create a space that's also welcoming for them uh and give them like the fan experience uh on their terms and that's awesome but that is going to be in, like that is in tension with the fact that like the FIA, like the F1 promoters are happily booking out uh, Orange Army seating areas where it's like go hog wild. I mm. also think, though, it might be an issue with this is in Austria. Um, it is it, like from what I understand, talking to like U Europeans and when I worked at Red Bull or a lot of Austrians and Germans, mm. like in general, the thing I heard was Austria tends to be uh, a bit more right wing um, in some places like uh has some really retrograde views and it isn't necessarily surprising to me that you would run into this here where i think red bull more than max even where red bull has to answer for some stuff is this is not a home race the way silverstone is a home race for like uk teams it's not a home race the way like germany uh is a home race for yeah. like mercedes red bull owns the track and red bull also like run events worldwide uh they tend to have like hyper controlled environments this is their house um if anyone can make it so that this isn't happening it is the red bull like yeah. corporate like body uh that could stamp this out so i think where they do come in for more deserved scrutiny here is you own the you own the paper on the track you could yeah. you, like you could take steps to make sure this doesn't happen um but i do think broader than that there is an issue with like the deal people make when they buy a ticket is often you can come here you can get pissed drunk you can act like an asshole and i think as long as you're holding that out as part of the value proposition you're going to have more issues like this and like 
you have to be able to enforce standards via like a present and quickly responsive security. And maybe also just don't serve drinks to people who are pissed drunk. Yeah, I I thought Formula One's response was kind of interesting. Um, they, you know, uh, pretty quickly got out there and said um, through a spokesperson, we've been made aware of reports that some fans have been subject to completely un- unacceptable comments by others at the event. We have raised this with the promoter and security and we'll be speaking to those who have reported these incidents and are taking this very seriously. That to me reminded me that, you know, Formula One makes a ton of their money from ticket sales. And if it starts being a common thing that going to a Formula One race oh, yeah. sucks, that is v- extremely important to the Formula One bottom line. And I, that may be like a cynical way of looking at this, but I don't think this is something that will just get either lip service or swept under the rug because this matters to their business. Yeah, unfortunately, it might be money that sort of moves the needle on, on this thing eventually. But I was I was like thinking about this and thinking like, uh, like if I, you know, it's impossible to imag- imagine, put myself in someone else's shoes. But like imagining like if I, well, I, I could say like if I wanted to bring my kid maybe to a race. I was about to say yeah. like if I was a woman, would I feel safe going to these things? I don't know what the experience of walking in the street as a woman is. So I, I, I can't really speak to that, I, I guess. But, you know, I certainly... I can imagine it would be harder to want to go to one of these. And then certainly, you know, when you're seeing all the tweets about it, and then certainly with kids, like I wouldn't want to bring my kid, my daughter to a, a situation like that either and see that type of type of behavior. And like, I'm fairly, I don't know, there's something a bit more acrid, actually is a good word for that type of um, behavior in that setting than even the sort of like weird japes you get at a soccer game. Like once it crosses over into racism or misogyny and like that or homophobia, like I've, I've seen people kicked out of stadiums, like three seats from me for doing like Nazi salutes at games and they just get like oh security God. comes and pulls them out and that's it. But it, you and have to like, invest in that ability to rapidly respond because the minute you're like, yeah, hey, uh, okay, yeah, we will we'll get those people out of the stadium. But what you have to do first is walk away from the stands full of people uh, who are like harassing you, and then go and hopefully find someone in authority who like can and will do something about it. That well, could take have, like ten so, fifteen minutes. I don't know if they do it here, but in in a lot of European stadiums, they give you a number you can text. You basically just text the seat number. And then security in that area will know. The biggest problem I feel when it comes to F1 is that these aren't places where there are events on week in, week out. Right. It's like a once in a year. So all of the security are guns for hire. You know what I mean? This is going to be the biggest gig of the year. So it's harder to create that culture of safety and that culture of like accountability and standing up if you're just somebody who is maybe taking the marshal's job or, or not the marshal's job, a security job, because you kind of want to, maybe it's a good payday, but also maybe you like F1. It's hard maybe to ask those people to put themselves in a situation where they're going to drag out somebody <laughs> from like this pit of orange screaming well, We fans, definitely you know, heard or, like, or uh, any of them. You know, I think we have people writing in about like in some races, security just kind of like, like, fuck it, I'm going to go watch the race. Good luck with uh, traffic now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. But I, I think, but I think this gonna... also goes back to this, this falls on F1's shoulders a bit because F1, like, squeezes promoters like crazy, too. And yeah. so, like, ticket prices are high. The margins are probably best for, like, serving alcohol to people. But, like, you set up a lot of preconditions for people feeling like, I paid good money. And yeah, exactly. also... Yeah. 
the the promoter has every incentive to be like, what do you want? We'll just we'll just sell you it, just like whatever it takes to have a good time and and mm-hmm. give us more money. And you're gonna have to really change the uh, expectation to be like, nope, you're a guest here, and yeah, the t- ticket's expensive, but if you're an asshole, you're gone. Um, and I'm I, I think Vettel's right. Like, this is something where. Now this is sort of out in the open. You got to come down hard on it. This can't be a mm. like, okay, well, we'll slowly try to get people used to the idea that you can't uh, just like shout slurs and like grope women uh, in public in F1 track. No, this has got to be a real rapid uh, like people and they're in and the entire group of people they are with uh, just need to get bounced. Uh, God, was, there, was there like get, sexual yeah. assault happening as well? There like people were. I. I saw some allegations that, uh, yeah, like women were uh, being like touched without permission, and that Jesus. somebody might have had their skirt pulled up. Uh, oh, plus, that's ridiculous. Uh, apparently, last year in twenty one, uh, the Orange Army uh, stands at turn four um, were chanting at women walking by uh, some sort of Dutch saying that meant it needs that uh, it needs a dick in it. Oh um, my god! Yeah, so like, yeah, we're here okay. now. And yeah. like F1 can't also just say, but hey, it's on the promoters to figure this out. You got to have global standards for this. Uh, and yeah. they have to be severe because if people feel like they can get away with this, it will continue to happen. And anyone who's not a straight white asshole will feel like unwelcome at these places. Remember like five years ago where there were when there were pit girls? Doesn't that feel like. Feels like ago a now, ago. doesn't yeah. it? And remember, yeah, I remember how stupid they were. And for yeah. years, we were saying like get rid of them. They were still kind of there then, in Austria. Were they? Yeah, I mean they do they do the traditional oh, really? dress thing. Uh, they're they're wearing the fucking later Swiss Miss out. Like I don't know, man. Swiss. Look, I like I sorry to ethnically profile Southern German culture. I don't know what the <laughs> traditional the dress Therian, is, but yeah. uh, I mean it was a, it, there were a lot more women that I didn't see any any. Lederhosen, with the exception of like the mascot Red Bull. Gotcha. Um, yeah, yeah. But anyway, let, let's let's oh, move on. Yeah. Uh, last news story here, Danny. Yeah, sorry. Just quickly, I want to touch on this because I loved your guys' podcast when I was away. But there was one thing I was screaming that I wanted to talk about that I would have if I was there. And there is a new story about it this week, which is that when uh, Yu had that terrible crash at Silverstone, the shocking part to me right away was seeing that the uh, roll hoop on top of the car disintegrated when he turned over. In fact, the first time I saw the crash, because he is the neon carrying camera pod driver for them, I thought that was his helmet because of the the how the, the color differential. So the roll hoops on these cars, which is the structure above the car, if you can imagine before the halo existed, there's basically a line, an invisible line you could draw between the tip, tip, tip of, a, of the car, which is directly behind the driver's head, and the uh, basically the the front, I guess, where the front ring breaks off, um, and that is supposed to be a, a a safe area where the car could, uh, you know, go upside down and not hurt the driver's head. Obviously, with the introduction of the halo, there's a sort of a belt and suspenders thing going on here now, where you know they're both sort of there to protect him. But it was quite shocking to see that the roll hoop came off, which is not supposed to happen and does not generally happen and um, which had his head riding even closer to the ground in that crazy crash which thankfully he walked away from so uh yeah the the top and bottom of this is basically that alfa romeo got their data back and revealed that at least the initial data from that crash shows that the roll hoop structure took twice as much force as the f1 crash test has uh as as a, as a requirement so 
they did say that once this crash happened and once every crash happened they go back to the drawing board and there's often things that they learn from that obviously the Grosjean crash there was a lot of things they learned about where the gas tanks are going and where the um or rather sorry I should say where the where the car uh, tears apart to protect the the fuel uh, structure but it looks like perhaps there might be some changes coming maybe we'll see down the road as a result of this because they do not want those road hoops disintegrating um at all and uh thankfully it wasn't an issue here but you could imagine a world in which it was yeah yeah um hopefully (laughs) we uh everyone continues to improve on safety grounds it seems like they're they've generally been pretty good at that stuff so by by the way sorry i know i watched a lot of f2 and f3 and i won't talk about the austrian stuff there was a lot of races you could watch this week but did you guys see the f2 crash where the no. halo saved the driver no. at Silverstone. Oh, boy. Absolutely. Who was it? I, I, apologies, I'll, I, I won't look it up right now, but there was a crash. It was an incident um, where a car, two cars made, made, one car basically forced another guy off the track. And then as the car, it kind of reminded me of, there was a crash at Canada years ago where there was an incident. And then one of the cars was basically skating along was Barrichello and he missed everyone, I think. It was right when we started Alt F1, Drew. Um, this was basically one where a car cut the corner, was like cra- careering down the straight. And when the car turned, the car in front of him turned, who was incidentally the car tagged him, he hit him at a 90 degree angle at the halo. Like his tire oh, hit whoa. where the where the driver's head was. What were the halo not there? And it's uh, there's like a screen, like a freeze frame I took that was like absolutely shocking. It was 100 percent a life saved because of halo. So there was two on that on that weekend. So I feel like between that and Grosjean, and we've had so many multiple incidents. You know, it's 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 unbelievable. Yeah, it's really it, it's really crazy. Yeah, um, and I think yeah, it's uh. It's something else, you know, at least it is a very sad event that brought us to this, obviously, with, with Jules Bianchi. Um, and uh, if nothing else, it has certainly saved like a half dozen people at this stage. Well, um, that's it from Austria, I think, except for the fantasy standings. If you'd like to Ooh. join our fantasy league, you can do so using the link in the show notes. Here's the top three. Well, yes, top three the podium for the Austrian race. It's a two-way tie for second place between, from Sweden, Adam's team, team one. From America, Colton's <laughs> team, team two. Uh, but on top, from Canada, Ryan's team, it's Verstappening. But overall, we do not have a tie. We have, oh, I'm sorry, we do. We have a, yet another uh, two-way tie for third place in the overall standings. Uh, from America, Andy's team. Now this is pod racing. Nice. Uh, and from Canada, Michael's team, Leo Speed. Then in second place overall, James' team from America, Maximum Effort Three. See Max Ver. I got it. Yep. Hmm. Uh, but on top from Canada, Jeremy's team. What's first happening to me? Terrific. You're winning. That's what. That's what's for happening. That's, that's what's for happening. <laughs> uh, if you'd like to send us an email, you can do so at shiftf1podcast at gmail.com or f1.cool slash emails. You can also hit us up on Twitter at shiftf1podcast. I am at Drew Scanlon. That is at Rob Zachney and at Danny O'Dwyer. That is us around the internet. Should we take it around the world of racing, Danny? Let's race around the way. Hey, hey, hey. Yeah. 
The World Rally Championship is in Estonia mm, this ta- weekend uh, in Tartu. <laughs> Tartuga. The ta- island of Tartuga. Tartuga. It's um, not in Tallinn. My God. Uh, the World Superbike Championship is in the United Kingdom for the Donington Park round. Er, Donington. Yes, <laughs> I know it well. My grandpappy was from there. Uh, Formula E is in New York. Is this right? At the Brooklyn Street Circuit? Yeah, concrete jungle where dreams are made of. Let's go. All right. Motocross Grand Prix is in the Czech Republic uh, in Lockett. We've got IndyCar uh, in Toronto, Canada for the Honda Indy Toronto. For the continuing adventures of Roman Grosjean and his hatred of his teammate. That's right. Dude, Autosport had an entire feature on like, so what's going on over at Andretti? Uh, and like Andretti was like, they, they're, they're, direct, they're like COO of like uh, sporting operations. Like, listen, I can't like, I'll talk to you in generalities. It's an amazing feature of them trying to talk about like, so why do your, why do your drivers all hate each other? And they're like. That's a strong way to put it. Uh, I just think they need to, you know, they're all passionate personalities. Racing's uh, oh, crazy. Yeah. Just yeah, I was on I was on a beach in French Polynesia drinking from a coconut, laughing my ass <laughs> off listening to Drew talking about that whole incident. It was terrific. Rob, good stuff. It was Rob, but yeah. Oh, sorry, I meant Rob. Sorry, uh, Rob. Yeah, yeah. It was. It was. I love how he like he couldn't start the podcast without bringing it up. He just immediately needed to jump into it. It was. It was terrific. We've got Super Formula this weekend at Fuji Speedway in Ooh. Oyamacho, <gasps> Suntogun, Shizuoka Ken, which is the prefecture. That's a prefecture. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, the NASCAR Xfinity Series is in New Hampshire, the uh, New Hampshire Motor Speedway in Loudoun, New Hampshire, mm. for the Crayon 200. <laughs> or s- okay. some people may say Crown. Crayon. Crayon. Or, or Cran. Cran. Crayon are sponsoring us. Jeez. A lot of kids love NASCAR. Little I know. Babies. 200 colors. I think that's I what right. the 200 means. And loud. Loudon. Loudon. Loudon, loudon. And we got NASCAR. Oh my. We in Loudon. Oh yeah. Take out your crayons. <laughs> For the Am Better 301. Is that an AMPM sponsorship or? N- no idea. A- Am Better. I'm better. I I am better at NASCAR than you. I'm going to win. I'm better. It's a health insurance thing. Okay. There we go. I, I, I am better need, after my insurance. You, you wouldn't need health insurance if you were I'm better. <laughs> okay. Uh, final thoughts <laughs> on Austria, Danny. I don't know, man. I'm just really looking forward to the next race. You know, it's just we've got to wait another couple of weeks, but mm, we got to go look back. forward to Oh, to, good. Did <laughs> you see what's next? It's France. <laughs> hey, baby. Let's talk about those runoff. Let's talk about track limits and fucking mm. <laughs> Paul Ricard's coming up. The Scalectrics track of Formula One. Um, yeah, fun two weeks of racing. It's crazy to think we're halfway through the season already. Um, yeah, all to play for. Still still no one running away with it. Indeed. Final thoughts, Rob? Uh, yeah, two great races in a row. Uh, it feels like every team has a massive Achilles heel, but also tons of potential. I am stoked for the, uh, the latter half of the season. 
All right. Well, if you'd like to support the show and get access to all of our bonus episodes and the official Shift F1 Discord, you can do so over at patreon.com slash Shift F1. Have a good race weekend, everyone. We will see you all next week. Meow.